Folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is January the 27th, 2022, and this is episode 3025 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, I've got a, a little bit of a shorter lineup. I'm a little thin on expert counsel content. I also want to keep this episode a little bit shorter than typical because I am doing a live stream with John Willis and Nicole Sauce at 12.30 today, and right now it's 11.08. So I need to get this done, get this out, and if you get a chance, if you hear this like when it first goes out, you might want to like sit on it, listen to it a little bit later, and get on over to either Nicole's YouTube channel or John's YouTube channel, and you can catch us. We'll be on from 12.30 till I'm guessing about 1.32 o'clock if it goes like I expect. Anyway, here's what I've got today. I've got uh, great stuff from the Ron Paul Liberty highlights today. What would you do if you had to handle the Ukraine? Ron Paul answers that question. I wish he was handling the Ukraine. I love his answer. You will, too. Dan McAdams tells us why the odds that Russia's going to invade Ukraine anywhere are almost zero. And Chris Rossini will tell us how far we've drifted from being, quote-unquote, the land of the free. Next up, Doc Bones will talk about how a condition like Factor V leading might affect a vaccination decision, whether you want to get it or not. Uh, a lot of people think I'm anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax. I'm pro-choice. My choice is no. That's my choice. It's definitive. No. I've had COVID. I have natural immunity. The CDC itself says that my immunity is, is much stronger than vaccinated immunity. There's no reason for me to get a vaccine. That's just one reason I'm not doing it. But in this one, I'm going to be a little more assertive than even Doc Bones when he concludes, and I'll do that after he gets his chance to speak. Tim Toolman Cook will talk about storing gasoline and the DeWalt inflation station. Dr. Ken Berry will talk to us about quitting smoking. Then I'm going to ask you a simple question for my segment today. Why the hell are we not hearing about the truckers' revolt in Canada on any mainstream news? I know you saw a very brief article about it on some MSM you know, blog or something like that or news site, but... You know what I did last night? I tortured myself. I did. I watched, uh, what's his name, Jesse Waters' new show on Fox. Primetime, I think it's called, The Whole Thing. Yeah, I did it. it I'm still still recovering. It was pretty traumatic to, to have to listen to so much freaking bullshit, but I did. And then I watched all of Tucker Carlson's show. I watched the whole thing from beginning to end. It was less traumatic. Tucker has some decent stuff on it. And I thought, if anybody on a mainstream news channel, would mention this for 30 seconds. It would be Fox News on one of those two shows. So I sat through two hours, not two hours of content, you know, like an hour and 20 minutes of content and like 40 minutes of drug commercials and pillow commercials. Not a blip. Literally one of the biggest stories on the planet right now, what's going on. And I'll tell you what I've heard about it, But I'm going to caution you when I do my segment. It's all hearsay. It's all hearsay, and I'll tell you why. Here's that word some of y'all really don't like. It starts with an F, and it rhymes with truck, coincidentally, for this story. If you want to not hear it, skip ahead about 35 seconds right now. Okay? Here it comes. Because the journalists won't do their fucking job. I don't know if everything I'm going to tell you is true. But some of the stuff I've heard that seems to be legitimate, some of the videos I've seen that seem to be legitimate, makes me think this is a huge story. I'm also going to tell you how it may really backfire when your friends immediately begin stabbing you in the back when things don't go their way. But I'll also tell you why I don't, I don't think they want to talk about it. And we'll get to my segment when we do. With that, let's head right on into it today, and let's hear from Dr. Ron Paul and his team, Dan McAdams and Chris Rossini. You know, I was I was thinking the other day because somebody asked me a similar question to this. We, you know, it's it's a mess in, in Ukraine. So, what would you do if they put you in charge? How would you handle this? Don't you realize NATO's involved? Eastern Europe, uh, Western Europe, the Europeans are involved. The Russians are involved, and it's on and on. The United Nations has to be taken care of. And you, have, how are you going to contend with with the military-industrial complex? How can you do all this? What we know, you can talk with people and. Get 
get along with people. But, uh, you know, that's going to take a tremendous amount of diplomatic skills to bring all this together. And I would say there's only one word you need. Non-intervention. Yeah. Have a non-intervention foreign policy. That's their problem. And uh, if we have Americans interested in helping or contributing, or if we have an interest in, in talking about and writing about it, maybe, but no intervention through government force. And believe me, you you can't have that mess over there without intervention. Look at the look at the Middle East. It's been going on since World War One. You know, mainly because we uh, we follow, basically the world follows now an interventions foreign policy. And they line up. It's competitive, very costly, and very, very dangerous. And I think we pointed that out today pretty much about Ukraine. It's still very expensive and uh, potentially very dangerous, which uh, government interference is. Government interference is a dangerous policy to have. It's the opposite of liberty. Voluntarism is the way to go. And the acceptance of the principle that you're not allowed to initiate aggression against other people. That is one way you can seek peace and prosperity, and that is what we work for. Here is something that may shock most Americans. Russia is not about to invade Ukraine. Uh, They have have a specific set of circumstances that they have outlined very clearly. If they happen, Russia will intervene. And they have said, if the breakaway republics of Donbass uh, are they are attempted to be retaken by force russia said we will intervene because there are hundreds of thousands of russian citizens with russian passports living there they said we will act to protect russians living in that area as any country would do including the u.s but russia is not going to willy-nilly just jump into a war because they think it sounds cool a ukraine is the poorest and most corrupt country in europe that's before they're bombed. And ASB News is great on this. They have a great thread. People can look it up on Twitter. That's before it's been bombed. So if it's bombed, it's going to be in even worse shape. So Russia inherits an absolute nightmare. What's that going to do to Putin's popularity at home? He was popular, and this is, again, ASB military has talked about this. He got back Crimea without bloodshed at all, and that boosted his popularity. If he goes into Ukraine just for the fun of it and loses a few thousand Russians and inherits this huge, messed up, worthless country right now, not the people, but the economy and the corruption, he's going to go like this at home. There'll be no benefit. The economic benefit won't be there because there'll be sanctions coming out the yin-yang. There is literally no reason why he would do it. And if you look, last thing, Dr. Paul, sorry to get on my high horse there, but if you look at past practice, we have known Whatever you think of Putin, it doesn't matter. We have a long record of him in charge of Russia in one way or another. He has never acted in a rash, irrational way. It doesn't say he's a good guy or a bad guy. It doesn't matter. He doesn't jump into things where there's no benefit to him. He was involved in Syria because there was a benefit to him and in elsewhere. This would be a, a, the opposite of a benefit. We do have to change uh, philosophy in this country from government always having to do something to ideally do nothing but that is too far of a stretch for most people today uh... even saying well how about this instead of do nothing how about only do what's constitutional unfortunately even doing what's constitutional would be a tremendous shock to most americans because virtually everything that the federal government does today is unconstitutional and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing because imagine everybody that's in government, their very first act is to raise their right hand, put their hand on the Bible, and swear to uphold the Constitution. Very, very, very few actually do. vast majority that actually happens to be their first official lie in entering government, uh, sure to be followed by many more lies. Uh, so they they don't follow the Constitution. So it's even even saying, well, just follow the Constitution. How about in, if that's too much? How about stop stop moving away? How about just stop and head towards the Constitution? That's the the next best thing. I mean, the bottom line is we've drifted very very far from liberty, from freedom in this country, and you know it may be even too far to turn around. It will probably be what Dr. Paul has said. There's going to be a severe financial crisis. Everyone will learn just how broke 
this government is. It does not have, it is not the goose that lays the golden egg. Uh, and so that's going to be very shocking to a lot of people, not to us and to people that uh, uh, understand the ideas and share the ideas of liberty because we're not under any illusions. We can see clearly, but a lot of people do not see clearly, which is why there needs to be more of us because they're going to need some answers soon. And the more of us that there are that understand the ideas of liberty, the more of us can provide those answers. I just want to, again, say how grateful I am that we have this team of people putting together this content for us every week. Uh, huge, huge shout out to Chris Rossini, who you heard there at the end, who made this all happen. Uh, and a huge thank you to Dr. Ron Paul, who's been on the show, uh, very graciously and, um, who, who, who has, you know, graciously agreed to, uh, to have his team work to put content together for us. I want to take just one of those three segments though, because Ron Paul's is pretty simple. Don't mess around with other countries and a lot of these problems won't be ours. I'm not saying they won't happen. They won't be ours. And 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 Chris is is dead on. But I think the one that a lot of people might struggle with right now is what Dan McAdams said because of what the TV's telling you. So you have the entire U.S. media core, all of the freaking hawks and chicken hawks in our government on both sides of the aisle. We need to stand up to Putin, right? You got all of the freaking war pigs clamoring and beating the drum. Okay, And you're like, well, it seems inevitable. And if you're my age and you grew up where we had literal nuclear drills in school where we got under our desk and put our head between our legs and kissed our ass goodbye so we'd be ready if, if, the, if, the, if the missiles launched, you might feel like, well, <clears throat> well, I think you'll go into one or two directions. You'll be where I am, and we'll get to there in a second. Or you can have kind of a flashback and go, this was always going to happen. This was always inevitable because we were told that it was inevitable. If you want a real awakening to the mental conditioning, especially if you're younger and you didn't live at, I didn't live through the whole period, right? I didn't, I didn't sit on the roof like my grandparents did in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis and with a bottle of wine and the kids sleeping soundly below, not knowing it was going to happen, and thinking, well, if it's going to happen, we might as well go out with it without fear. I didn't live through that. I didn't live through the 70s and 80s. I did live through the day after, so I understand people that are going to come from this standpoint. This was always inevitable. As they said in the original, um, what is it, uh, Red Dawn, what did the colonel say? It was something like, two biggest kids on the block, I guess they were going to fight sooner or later. You know. So you can take that approach here, and you can be like, oh, this is going to go down. Right, and and seeing another proxy war between Russia and the United States doesn't seem that out outlandish since we've seen enough of them over over time. This is a little bit different. Not only is is Dan right when he says there's nothing in it for Putin to invade Ukraine, and there isn't. There's nothing in it for Putin to invade Ukraine. And when people talk about Crimea, they they speak mostly from a level of ignorance. He, they did go in there without losing a person, without firing a shot. And they went in there and they were able to do that because the people of Crimea didn't care. They, they had enough problems going on. They saw Russia as a better answer. Not as a force to fight an enemy, but to, to establish some level of order because the whole thing had gone into chaos. And Crimea rejoining the Russian Federation was done through a vote. And it passed by over 90%. The United States of America can't pass a major initiative like voting for a president or anything like that by more than about a 1% majority. It was a 90% majority. If they cheated by half, it's, it's freaking what? 65%. Okay? You got that. And, and Putin knew that going in. It was like, why wouldn't I do this? People will bitch and complain about it, but what they say won't matter. Ukraine is a mess. Ukraine has the potential to be the base of the next Nazi Germany, by the way, I'm just saying. I won't go into that today. But it's a mess. There is no good that comes from Putin invading Ukraine. None. Now, propping up rebels in their eastern breakaway provinces, that benefits Putin. Why do you think he does it? This is not Putin's good, bad, or the other. This is just Putin's irrational, logical Relic of the Cold War. He understands this dynamic. So what's really going on here? 
Why are we hearing all this? Why are the people right now who would be politically advantaged to be speaking out against this, which would be every Republican and half the Democrats in Congress and the Senate, would be it would be to their political advantage to speak out against this? Because it's a freaking show, guys. It's WWE. Or if you're my age, remember it was WWF? When it was Hogan and Paul Orndorff and Mr. T and all... And if you were a little kid, maybe you thought it was real, and your dad told you what, and you didn't want to believe him. I'm your dad telling you wrestling's not real. Let me explain to you what's going on here. The the right is legitimately attacking and saying we need to be stronger on Russia because they think it makes Biden look weak. And they're being played as fools. They're being played as fools. Because there isn't going to be a war with Russia. There isn't going to be a Russian invasion. And Biden sees this, well, Biden's handlers. Biden barely sees his own ass, okay? But Biden's handlers see this as an opportunity for a victory by doing nothing but talking. When Russia doesn't invade Ukraine, full stop. It is going to be held up as, look what Biden did. Biden was tough. Biden rallied our allies. Even though our allies are like, no, fuck this, we're out, right? Germany... Um, just, I think Poland was a, it was somebody was willing to, I think Estonia, it was Estonia, was willing to send some weapons from Estonia to Ukraine. Thing was, Estonia got that weaponry from Germany, and Germany's like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, nine, you shall not do this. And I don't know exactly what they held over Estonia. Maybe, oh, you know what? Uh, if you do that, they'll have worthless weapons and it's in six months because they require maintenance that we're not willing to provide. Or if you want any more, you might not want to let go of what you have. One way or another, Germany stepped in and said, no, do not, we are. And quite a few NATO allies are already like, we're out. Yet the ass clown in chief, right, the potato salad in chief is still out there saying, you know, when they, if NATO is called and, and has all his mouthpieces saying, you know, if NATO makes the decision, NATO's made the decision. The key players in NATO that aren't us have made the decision. We're not doing this. Ukraine is not, to, to, to dismay some people, Ukraine's not part of NATO. Russia really doesn't want that. Do you blame them? Remember when there was a Warsaw Pact? How would you feel about you know Mexico or Canada joining the Warsaw Pact? That's what Ukraine joining NATO would be like to Russia. Very simple to understand. Again, this is not a defense of Russia. This is a statement of reality. But here's your endgame. When Russia does not invade Ukraine... And the crisis that isn't there. Now, there's a crisis there. There's a crisis in that this country, Ukraine, is involved in a civil war against itself. There's something called the Kiev Accords. Look it up if you doubt me. Never trust me. Always look it up. The Kiev Accord says that these eastern provinces have the right to act autonomously, but they stay within the nation of Ukraine. And that they will not be interfered with and that they will not interfere with with western Ukraine. And that's our allies, right? Supposedly. But we have no alliance. We have no formal agreement whatsoever. It's all just talking to each other. That's a crisis because the, the our allies are shelling towns in western Ukraine. I'm sorry, eastern Ukraine. And it's a fact. It's happening. Again, look it up if you doubt me. In violation of the accords that they set up and agreed to. That's a crisis. This whole thing, Russia's going to jump in and there's going to be World War III and all, it's a fake crisis. It exists only because it's churned up. So the end game, when it is time, we say the crisis was averted. Putin backed down. Biden and his people are heroes, i.e. Cuban Missile Crisis 2.0. Except the Cuban Missile Crisis was actually a crisis that actually led us to the edge of global nuclear war. And Kennedy actually did back down the Russians. Other than that, it'll be exactly the same, because none of that shit's actually going to happen. Anyway, with that, let's go on to something totally different. Let's hear about something called Factor 5 and how it might affect the decision to get a vaccination from Doc Bones. Hi, Joe Alton, MD here, also known as Dr. Bones of the survival medicine website, doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 1,200 articles, podcasts, and videos on medical preparedness, plus the co-author of the greatly expanded fourth edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook. Today's question for the expert counsel is from Megan, who writes, what are the increased risk factors from either COVID or the jab for someone who has factor five Leiden and other blood clotting disorders? 
trying to make an informed decision, but my doctors are definitely drinking the Kool-Aid and won't give me straight answers. I was diagnosed with Factor V Leiden after winding up in the ER with clots in my arms and lungs after a difficult delivery. I had another set of clots in my arms and legs after my complete thyroid removal surgery, even loaded up on blood thinners. My oncologists and hematologists are all scratching their heads about why, but when I asked them if I should get the jab or if there might be an adverse effect with my clotting condition, they're all adamant that everyone should take the jab, no matter their condition. This is a university teaching hospital, so I understand where this is coming from. I know that I'm an at-risk person, but I want to make an informed decision and weigh the risks accordingly. I'm 37, overweight partially because of long-diagnosed papillary thyroid cancer, but have been doing keto for the last couple of years off and on to try to address the issue. I take extra B, C, D3, K2, zinc, probiotics, and quercetin regularly to try to reduce my chances. I'm not taking ivermectin at this time for potential interactions with apixaban and the aforementioned lack of doctor's advice. Thanks for your time and work on the TSP Expert Council. Megan, I'm sorry that you're having to deal with this problem. Factor V Leiden is a mutation of one of the clotting factors in the blood, clotting factor V protein, one of the many proteins in our system that help our blood clot after an injury. The mutation makes coagulation factor V work in overdrive, which increases the tendency of the blood to clot. Indeed, factor V Leiden is the most common genetic predisposition to blood clots, affecting 5% of the U.S. population, mostly of northern European descent. Despite this, few people have even heard of it. This mutation causes blood clots most commonly in your legs or lungs, called deep vein thromboses and pulmonary embolisms, respectively. Although it can occur to both men and women, women may have an increased tendency to develop blood clots during pregnancy or when taking hormones like estrogen. People with the factor V Leiden mutation, however, don't seem to be at increased risk for heart attacks, strokes, or cancer. Most people with factor V Leiden have no symptoms or other signs of it before they develop a blood clot. Although it's easy to identify with a blood test, few physicians have a high index of suspicion for it, and it's rarely ordered. Since the first sign of it is a blood clot, you should know how to recognize it early. If you have a blood clot in the vein of the leg or arm, your symptoms in the affected area will probably include things like swelling, pain, and tenderness, a purple or bluish discoloration of the skin, and skin that is warm to the touch, sometimes with a vivid red discoloration. Symptoms of a blood clot may include sudden shortness of breath, Sharp chest pain that gets worse by taking deep breaths, coughing, or sneezing. Rapid heartbeat and palpitations. Fainting or near fainting. And coughing up blood. There are thought to be two forms of factor V Leiden, one where the person inherits the gene mutation from only one parent and one where they received it from both. I would think, with your history, Megan, that you got it from both. This might explain why you seem particularly prone to clots. Now to your question. Your doctors are recommending the jab as they do with just about everyone. You're on the blood thitter apixaban. Global recommendations state that people on it are indeed not at higher risk for problems if they are vaccinated. There's limited, if any, information about Factor V Leiden and vaccines, although the conventional medical wisdom states that it's safe to get any of the two vaccines that we currently have in the U.S., Moderna or Pfizer. This includes people who have a history of deep vein clots or lung clots or who are on anticoagulation. Now, having said that, we know that COVID-19 infection has been associated with blood clots. If you get COVID, is a blood clot caused by it or your Factor V Leiden? A study was reported from Harvard regarding people with Factor V Leiden that got COVID. In it, people hospitalized with severe COVID-19 infections who have high levels of the blood clotting protein Factor V are at elevated risk for severe injury from blood clots such as deep vein thrombosis or pulmonary embolism. That means that if you get COVID, you're at higher risk for severe disease than the average person. Your extra weight and your cancer history are comorbidities that also come into play. Therefore, if you believe the conventional wisdom that COVID vaccines prevent severe disease, it shouldn't surprise you that your doctors would recommend getting it. That's a problem, isn't it? How much of the science is science and not someone's political agenda? When the government gets involved, who can tell? I'm not here to give medical advice, and I certainly can't tell you what to do, but be sure to do your research, ask questions, and come to an informed conclusion that you can live with. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health and good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, did you know that our medical kits were recently ranked in the top 10 best medical kits on the market by New York Magazine? Check out our entire line at store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. 
Okay, let me weigh in on this a different way. I agree with everything Bone said about the condition, because he knows more than me. And contrary to what many of you are probably expecting, I'm not going to say run away from the vaccine for this person. I am pro-medical freedom. I am not anti-vax. I have been vaccinated against diseases like smallpox. Okay? And I don't object to a vaccination like that with a proven track record of being effective. Okay? I don't. Now I know half of you now are really pissed at me. Let it go. Because I don't want you to have to get that vaccine or the vaccine we're talking about today. I want you to make a free and independent decision. I don't want a person with a serious medical condition to make that decision solely off what they read and hear on the Internet, though. I want them to make an informed decision in consort with a trained medical professional. But I want them to make that decision with a medical professional who will say no in some circumstances. So if I were this person, I would stop talking to these people at a, treat, uh, a, a what do you call it, a, a training hospital, right, where they're being trained to obey, where you're only going to get one answer, where if you're like, well, I already got the first vaccination, I ended up with my heart stopped, they had to freaking defibrillate me to bring me back to life, I'm lucky to be alive, I'm paralyzed from the ass down now, should I get the second vaccine, they're going to go, absolutely. You cannot take advice from a person who is guaranteed to give you only one answer. That's not informed consent, and it's not reliable advice. I would start looking, just like we had on the show about a month ago, for a direct primary care physician, a doctor in your local area that does direct primary care. And I would start interviewing, and I would find one, especially with your condition, in addition to whatever your insurance pays for, it means it's inexpensive to have somebody like that on your side. And I would interview over the phone these doctors. And I would ask a question. Not what would you tell me to do in this situation. I would ask simply, are there any health conditions that exist where you would advise a person right now to avoid the COVID vaccine, due to those specific health conditions. I don't even really know what they are. Would you ever say, don't do it? And I would find a couple, if you can, three or more, right, that say, yes, there are, there are health conditions that I would say you shouldn't do this. And then I would go from there, and the ones that passed that test, I would interview them further, and I would pick a DPC, right, doctor, and I would sign up with their service, given the situation that you're in, for that and other reasons. And then I would have a deep conversation with them about your concerns, about your risks, etc., about preventative treatment as well. And then I would make an informed decision. And when I say I'm not anti-vax, the way that term is used as a pejorative, I'm not kidding. I personally think people in good health even if the vaccine does what they claim it does, and I doubt that very much so, are better off not doing it. But that's my opinion. I will never tell you what you should do. But I'm going to tell you, if you seek advice from a person that would never give anything but a single answer, you've not gotten advice. You've been given propaganda. Next up, let's hear about how to store gas and the DeWalt inflation station. Hey guys, Toolman Tim coming back at you from the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. Back to answer some more questions for the expert council, so let's dive right in. I've got two more questions from MeWe this week that I'm going to answer for you, so let's get right to it. The first one uh, comes from a brand new prepper, just been prepping since the summer, and they sent me a question. It says, good afternoon from across the border here in Michigan. Had a quick question for you and wanted to thank you for always taking the time to come on Jack's show on the Expert Council. I think I've learned more from you than any other council member. Well, <laughs> you're going to make me blush, but thank you. We have <laughs> the Expert Council is awesome. I love it. Anyway, just wondering if there's any way to safely store gasoline inside the home. I recently lost access to the garage I was keeping my backup gas cans in and don't have a garage on the property that I live in. Is there a way to safely store about 30 gallons of gasoline inside the home? Don't want to blow myself up or gas myself out. Thanks again. So first off, 
No, not really. I would never recommend storing gasoline indoors in a living area. However, I did some back and forth uh, with this gentleman and a few suggestions, of course, is, and it's a little more expensive, but if you look at the prepackaged long life uh, shelf gasoline that you see at the big box stores that come in the one gallon tins, I mean, they store tons of those inside. And if they're factory sealed, Worst case scenario in the worst, you know, the worst situation, maybe you could buy a whole bunch of those and keep them indoors. That might be an idea, of course. Now, another option I thought was, you know, convert your generator to propane and store propane indoors. Still not ideal, but in my opinion, safer than storing gasoline inside. But it turns out that right now they're just using an inverter with their car. So from there... I said, well, what about outdoor storage? And they were concerned a little bit about, you know, the, the high, the high highs in the summer and the cold colds in the winter. And, you know, like I said, gasoline jerry cans in my garage would get well over 30 degrees Celsius and they would swell right up and then get down to minus 40 in the winter and shrink right down and they would hold their form. So I asked, you know, do you have a covered porch or an outdoor area? And they do have a covered porch where they might store some propane. But we ended up talking about urban and suburban camouflage. And my suggestion was, take that 30 gallons of gasoline if you have an outdoor area, throw it in the back, throw an old tarp, an old tire over it, maybe some rotten wood, and nobody's ever going to be any of the wiser. Anyway, they sent some follow-up pictures, and it was awesome. (laughs) Even put a couple old car parts over it. So if you're ever thinking about fuel storage, sometimes we need to think outside the box and sometimes it helps to throw it at someone else and ask. But again, I would not personally store gas inside a living area. I don't mind storing it in a garage. Some people don't like that, but there's always other options. Covered porches and especially outdoors with some camo would work great. Good evening, Tim. I was wondering how the battery life is on the DeWalt inflation station. I know it has a cord, but what if you just tossed it in the back of the truck with a battery? How long do you think it would last? I don't think it would drain faster than if you just had a battery sitting back there, but I wasn't sure. Also, how long would the battery last if ran continuously? Could you do more than one truck tire? Thanks for any of the info. Well, Uh, You guys know I love the DeWalt Inflation Station, and it's my go-to for long trips to keep in the truck, simply because it's battery-powered and it runs on an existing platform that I have. But I couldn't give specific answers to Joshua, so I went out, I made a video, and did some actual real-world testing. And I decided, just you know, for brevity and the fact that it was minus 4 Celsius out, I put a 2-amp-hour battery on it. And I wanted kind of an average-sized tire, so I took my... 15-inch RV tires, and I deflated both of them on one side, completely flat, so there wasn't even one PSI left in it. And then I pumped them up. And on a 2-amp-hour battery, I was able to go from dead flat to 40 PSI in one tire, and I was able to go from dead flat to around 25 PSI in the second tire. Now, how often are you going to have to pump up more than one tire completely from dead flat? It's pretty rare. Most times you're going to have a puncture and you're going to need to just top it up. And also, I did it on a 2 amp hour battery, but the 5 amp hour battery, which will of course give you two and a half times the capacity, fits in there just as well. A little more weight, but it doesn't stick out anymore. So if you were to put a 5 amp hour battery in there, throw it in underneath, you know, the back seat of your truck or whatever, and just leave it, you would be able to easily pump up I don't know, five, maybe, yeah, at least five 15-inch tires. Uh, You know, I used mine to just top up from 32 to 40 PSI when I was towing, and it was able to do all four of my big uh, Ram 1500 truck tires. Uh, And also, yeah, there's no battery drain on that. There's actually a physical on-off switch. So if you leave that in the off off position, you're not going to need to top that battery up any more than if it was just sitting loose in the back of the truck. You know, cold weather is going to have a bit of an issue with it. But, you know, if you just take it in once or twice a year and make sure it's fully charged, you should be good to go. And, you know, it's a little bit bigger. There's a little carrying case you can pick up for it to keep it from getting beat around. But I just love the fact that it runs on an existing platform and I don't have to use one of those chintzy little 12-volt plug cables that come with it. And it tends to be quite a bit faster, I think, than most of the inexpensive 12-volt compressors you can find out there. So I hope that helps, Joshua. Anyway, guys... Thanks a lot. Uh, If you want to know more about 
what I do and who I am, run by toolmantim.co. That's the easiest way. Find my social links. Add me on Float, MeWe, Instagram, YouTube, Odyssey, all of those. I would love to see you. And drop by the workshop live twice a week, Thursday and Sunday night, 7 o'clock Mountain Time, 9 o'clock Eastern. We're building an incredible community over there where I get awesome interaction. I learn from everybody as much as I teach. And I just love to see you drop by. So take a chance and come on by. And guys, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. It's fantastic advice, but I am going to say something. I would never store any significant quantity, especially in a single location, of a highly flammable substance inside a home. Not because it's going to sit there and magically explode, okay? That's, that's, that's not why. Because if there's a fire and the fire reaches that accelerant, it can go kind of nuclear over, you know, macroseconds. So I, I, I wouldn't do it. And I like the approach. Just figure out a way to store it but not let it be seen. Um, you'll find that criminals take the easy way out all the time, and they don't tend to put a lot of work into looking for something like, you know, a couple gallons of gasoline. So I think that that was a really great solution. With that, let's go on and take another one. This is going to be from Dr. Ken Berry on quitting smoking. And I have something to say about this one, too, once he uh, wraps up. Hello, Jack and the TSP crew. This is Dr. Ken Berry answering a question today from Corey about my recommendations for quitting smoking. First of all, congratulations on making this decision. This is going to improve and protect your health in hundreds of ways. I am a huge proponent of using nicotine replacement, uh, even in the form of vapes, because what you're really trying to do, Corey, is you're trying to break chemical addiction to nicotine, but you're also trying to break a physical habit, the hand-to-mouth habit, the having something in your hand all the time habit, having something that you put in your mouth all the time habit. So by using a nicotine replacement, you are then you can wean down the chemical addiction to nicotine. And uh, there are many vapes out there that you can do use for this. And you'll start out with a pretty high nicotine dosage, and then you'll slowly wean down that nicotine dosage so that you're breaking the chemical addiction. And then all you have to really cope with is the hand-to-mouth thing. So you can wean down the nicotine with the vape, and you can then work on just the physical habit of hand-to-mouth and something in your hand, something in your mouth. Keep in mind that 99% of the damage done by smoking cigarettes is not from nicotine. It's from all the other harmful shit that they put in cigarettes or that burning a weed and, and inhaling the smoke does to your lungs and the rest of your body. So I hope this helps. I'll see you guys all at the workshop coming up now that Jack has reminded me when that is. Thanks a lot. This is Dr. Barry. Talk to you next time. So, guys, um, that was an older one, if you might imagine, because he mentioned the workshop. I have a huge backlog of Ken Berry content. I have no backlog of anybody else's content right now. I have a couple people that I have some stuff in the bank for. I still need more questions for the expert counsel so I can poke the piker tree and get some more answers for them before I start making questions up for some of them. Uh, and some of them, they have questions I ain't answered. So we'll see. I've got a commitment to get some stuff to me next week, but I can still use more material. Remember, the way you ask a question of an expert counsel member, send it to me with TSPC expert in the subject line. Tell me what your question is and then give me details. Make sure you give me the question in one sentence and then give me the details. That way we all know what you're asking, including you. Trust me, I've been doing this a long time. It works. So here's what I want to say about this. In principle, I love what Ken just said about using vape. And I would rather you vape nicotine than smoke cigarettes because of what he finished with. It's, it's not what they add to cigarettes. It's burning something and inhaling the smoke is not good for you, specifically one done constantly. Because I've had people say to me, well, Jack, don't you occasionally imbibe in, in, in some cannabis? And the answer to that is very occasionally. Very, very occasionally. I don't, I know, I guess I've known a few people, most people I know that use cannabis don't smoke it the way somebody smokes two packs of cigarettes a day or something like that. Uh, I know a lot of people that use cannabis that it's not a daily, it's not a weekly, it's maybe once or twice a month. Uh, and I'm also very big on the concept, and it's Graham Hancock that got through to me with this, with some, one of his Joe Rogan interviews, 
that if you're using cannabis completely recreationally, you're probably wasting it. You're probably not using it appropriately. This is a, he's one of those guys that did smoke it like insane amounts of it, where it can really be harmful. And uh, and when I heard that, I'm like that resonated with me. And it was also while I was cleaning up my drinking habits and my eating habits, so it was a good time to hear it. Sometimes we hear the right thing when we need to hear it. But, but the other side of this, okay? I've known a lot of people that have decided this is what they're going to do. They're going to switch from smoking to vaping, and they're going to wean off. And I don't know any that have done it. What I've known is people who end up consuming more nicotine a day because they can vape where they couldn't smoke. They feel safer about it. It's easier to do. Um, it you know when it runs out, you pop a new cartridge in it. Overall, it costs less than smoking, uh, in spite of some of the things government's done to intervene with that. Um, And again, yeah, they can do it in places they normally couldn't. They get, even places they're not supposed to, they still tend to get away with it. And so what ends up happening inevitably is this great plan. I'm gonna, and I've known a couple people really closely that did this, that they ended up with the damn thing. You might as well just attach it. Like if you remember there was a thing in uh, Star Trek where these like people from the future, but they were the past of the Star Trek people during the Q um, trial. If you, if you remember what I'm talking about, well, like these guys had like a drug that they were on and they had like a little tube on their shoulder and every time they wanted some, they just turned their head and took some. I mean, I've, I've seen people with vaping literally get there. So if you're going to take that approach, I'm going to tell you, you have to be committed 100% as to why you're doing it for it to work. My father-in-law told me the story one time of how he quit smoking. My father-in-law was a World War II veteran. His family was in the underground. He was, uh, he was a citizen of the Netherlands. He was part of the occupation. Uh, he, he, he worked in the underground. His father was captured, thrown into a... And I, there's a reason for all... I'm telling you all this, and you'll, you'll see here in a second. Was thrown into a concentration camp. He was liberated one day before he was supposed to be executed. The man was five foot eleven, and he weighed under 100 pounds when they liberated him. My, my, my father-in-law, his son managed to stay out of the hands of the Nazis, except for one very close escape the entire time, worked with the underground the entire time. And when the Netherlands were liberated, he joined the Dutch Marine Corps under the liberated Netherlands and then served as a Marine for five years during Reconstruction in Europe. He eventually brought his family here to the United States. And he said that his doctor told him he needed to quit smoking. And he thought, the hell with it, it's too hard. And he said a nurse said to him, nurse, office assistant, whatever, at the doctor's office, this woman said, I think you're tough enough to just do this. And he thought about his whole life, not just the part I told you, and all the shit he'd been through. And that this was bad, and he thought about his family, and his wife, and his kids. He took a half pack of cigarettes, he crumbled it up, he threw it in the fucking garbage, and said, I'm better than this. Never smoked again for the rest of his life. My guess is that's probably more successful for people. Probably. But I won't tell anybody how to live. I'm just telling you that I know more people who quit by quitting than people who quit by weaning off successfully. And I do know people who have used gums and stuff like that to wean off. But I don't know anybody's done it. I'll probably hear from 20 of y'all. I did it and it worked. Okay, great. I'm not saying not to do it. I'm just saying go in eyes wide open with this. And uh, before my segment, I got a little music to play for you. I thought I'll have a great little bit of music to introduce my segment today.
Well, it's pretty obvious if you didn't remember from the intro what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the Truckers' Revolt up in Canada. And, I, you know, today I've looked around and I've seen a few articles about it. Um, one from CB, uh, uh, CBS News. Little articles online about it. I've seen some alternative media reporting on it. But I don't see any really well-sourced journalism done. And I think it's because it's probably hard for independent journalists to be really well-sourced about something going on in Canada. Uh, you're getting information from probably ad hoc sources. So a good journalist relies on known sources of information. And it takes time to cultivate and build those sources of information. And there's probably not a lot of sources of information that most of the people that are doing this work right now have. Maybe some, but I haven't seen a really good nuts and bolts where I fully trust the numbers and the impact, et cetera, I'm getting. But there's no doubt some shit's going on. And for those that have maybe not heard about this at all, what's going on up in Canada right now is apparently thousands and thousands of truckers are pissed that the federal government of Canada put a vaccine mandate on truckers. Now, my understanding is if you're a Canadian trucker driving your truck in Canada and you don't leave Canada, then it doesn't apply to you. It's not mandated. And it seems like the truckers in general don't care. Now, I'm not even sure about that because, again, journalists won't do their job. And I don't have trusted sources up in Canada that can tell me exactly what's going on here. The closest thing I have to a trusted source in Canada is Toolman Tim. And he's busy doing his thing, and he's not directly involved with this, so it would still be hearsay. Okay? But if, the, if that is indeed true, and I'm not sure that it is. I'm not sure that it is. But if it is indeed true, it would still make sense that it would piss the truckers off because there's a lot of handoffs in trucking. It's not always Bill runs a load from you know A to B, and that's it for the load. There's a lot of like kind of short haul, long haul interconnection type things, especially in a, a nation like Canada that rise, relies heavily on international trade with the United States. So truckers that need to cross the border being restricted by this. Could it negatively impact the entire trucking industry in Canada? Additionally, there are professions that are brotherhoods. There are professions that are brotherhoods. You know, iron workers, there's a brotherhood beyond the union part. There's a brotherhood among our, uh, uh, iron workers. You know, for all the shit we give them, I'll tell you one thing, it, it might be part of the problem, definitely is part of the problem, because people won't speak up, speak up when they should. There's a brotherhood among law enforcement. Okay, There's a brotherhood among truckers. Meaning, when you do something to one of us, we're all pissed. And I think those things are all compiling together here. And then there's a general sentiment. I think people, and I think at this point we're getting towards the majority of people, are tired of all this. They're tired of being told, you can't go here unless you have this piece of paper. Shit that's going on in Canada now is like this. Like If you don't have your, your jab paperwork and you want to go to, and I have confirmed this is true, at least in some places, and you want to go to like Walmart, well, since you don't have your jab paper, you get a health minder who follows you around, and the only thing you're allowed to buy is groceries or pharmaceuticals. You can't buy anything else at Walmart while you're there, as though that makes any sense. And you might be like, well, that's stupid. They wouldn't do that. Yes, they would. Don't, don't you remember when Whitmer did it to everybody and it had nothing to do with vaccinations at the beginning of COVID-19, when it all started? Where she said, well, we can't close the grocery stores. People need food. But they blocked off all the aisles to, like, you know, garden hoses and seeds and mechanical equipment and sporting goods. Don't you remember that? So we did it right here in the United States in different circumstances, but same thing. You can only go in to buy food. Which just put everybody in one small spot of the store and actually increased everybody's interactions. Didn't work. It was asinine. Made no sense. Did it anyway. Don't you remember when we had the rules in most of the United States? I'm sure some places still have this stupid rule. You go to a restaurant, that's fine. You have to wear your mask until you sit down and get your food served. Then you can take it off because when you're sitting down, COVID doesn't spread. But when you're standing in the waiting area, it does. 
The people standing outside in the cold instead of inside the, the, the restaurant to wait for a table. All that stupid. So no, there's nothing about this that doesn't line up with stupid shit our government and other governments have done for a long time. But the truckers are pissed. And this is an example of one thing I heard. That as the truckers were leaving one province, the line of truckers in the convoy stretched all the way back across that province, and there were some truckers that were just entering the province behind it. That would kind of be like, and I don't really know this, I'll admit my geographic ignorance, but that would be kind of like, I don't know, Let's say you had the truckers just entering Colorado while some of them were leaving um, Kansas, right? So you got you, it'd be like having a line of trucks, at least somewhat connected. There's obviously some cars and other traffic in there, but but a convoy stretching from the western border of Colorado and Utah to the eastern border of, of Kansas and Missouri. And, and Canadian provinces are large enough, it's probably more than that. But that's, isn't that enough? And like I said, last night, I put myself through the absolute agony of listening to bullshit be spewed on Fox News. Because I thought if anybody had a chance of actually covering this, of actually talking to somebody and saying, hey, you're on the ground up there, what's going on? Of using their trusted sources, because I'm sure they have some trusted sources in those parts of Canada. It would be Fox Not a flipping word about it. Why? Because they don't want this idea catching on. They don't want people to start realizing the power that we have. It's not just truckers. It's not just truckers. I mean, can you see the average person going, hey, wait a minute, let's shut down D.C. Let's just shut down D.C. until they until they stop their shit. What if the truckers don't get involved? What if, what if two million Americans decide we're shutting down D.C.? And just started pulling their, their vehicles into D.C. And just said, hell, I'll sacrifice my vehicle if I have to. And just parked it and walked away. A little easier to move than a semi-truck. Think about it that way, though. But the semi-trucks, it's basically what my understanding that they're doing. They're going to Ottawa. And they're going to surround the Capitol and park their trucks. We're not hauling shit. And we're not moving. Now, even if you bring in every wrecker capable of towing a flipping semi that you have in the country, it's going to take a while. They're literally saying, we're done, and we're shutting this the F down. And my understanding is like a Kickstarter fundraiser or something that's raised over $6 million to help support these men that are doing this while they're doing it. Again, it's all hearsay. But if it was all hearsay... And it wasn't real. Wouldn't you think mainstream media would be like, another right-wing hoax, and then expose that it's not real? So I think it's all real. I think all this is happening. I think it might be a little bit exaggerated here and there, but I think this is a 100% organic, real thing. And the truckers of Canada have stood up as the people's military of Canada, the people's militia of Canada, and said, this is it, this is enough. And everybody down here in the United States is cheering. And apparently a lot of Canadians are cheering. And everybody's like, it's time. But let me tell you something. This is why you need to be a freaking prepper. I predict, if this happens the way I'm being told, that within a week, two tops, the general Canadian individual citizen who is cheering these people on right now will turn on them. When they realize, oh, this means I can't go to whatever the equivalent of the Canadian Piggly Wiggly is and buy Canadian bacon, because there isn't any. When the food in the refrigerator and on the shelves depletes. When they can't get batteries for their sex toys and food for their children and booze for their booze hole. And they realize as long as this goes on, their supplies are cut. Because they will be. And that's what the government's betting on. Because the federal government of Canada, Trudeau's government, is not blinking right now on this. They're like, no. We said it. It is the way we said. They're holding firm. And we have a standoff. And this is my question for you. There's no doubt. We hold the power in so many ways. This is only one way 
that the people hold the power in any country. But do we have the spine? If we ever choose to have enough spine to use the power, do we have the spine to hold once we do? And I have a sneaking suspicion that most do not. And that's why they won't take the first step. At least this is the first step. But I find it very, very interesting that I can only call this a media blackout on a massive story. This is a massive story. This is something that some mainstream media source should be covering. Even if they did it negatively. Even if they put their own spin on it. Even if they were saying, look at these evil, crazy conspiracy theorist truckers in Canada. At least they'd be. They're not. There's no rah-rah and there's no attack. There is pretend it doesn't exist. They're worse than Baghdad Bob. Remember Baghdad Bob in Iraq? During the, the invasion of Iraq by U.S. forces, some of you too young to be a, to have been old enough to watch TV back then, I guess, and remember it. There was this minister of information or something like that in, in Iraq. He wore a, a beret, a cute little kiki beret, you know, and his little olive drab military uniform. And he would come out and he would tell everybody how well things were going for Iraq while the U.S. was invading them. And there's literally a video somewhere. If somebody could find it, I'll, I'll share it for you know the next generation's posterity, I guess where he is standing in the street with a camera on him, going, there is no American tanks in Baghdad. And there's literally American tanks in the shot behind him. right? Baghdad Bob has more integrity than the United States press corps does right now on this one issue alone. I'm not even talking about all the other crimes against humanity these people have been committing for decades, and certainly how they've ramped it up in the last two and a half years. I'm talking about this one story. Because at least Baghdad Bob came out and said something about what was going on, even though it was a lie. These people are pretending it's not happening. And it's because they don't want you to get any ideas. Because there's a lot of ideas. I'm not going to give you any. Not because not I'm afraid to. Maybe I'll give you some next week. Maybe we'll talk about some today on the live stream with Nicole and John. I don't know. That's their thing. They're setting their agenda. Maybe that'll come up. No, I'm not going to give you any ideas because I believe when you give people ideas, you rob them of the opportunity to come up with their own. And I believe it would be interesting if everybody started coming up with actual ideas. Now, there's been a few floated, you know, we'll all not shop on this day or whatever. But I don't think there's any that have ever been like, okay, we have, we have, this, we have this ability to use force in this way. It's not aggressive. This is not an aggressive use of force. This is not a bunch of idiots grabbing their deer rifles and ARs and running to the Capitol for an armed demonstration. That's stupid. You shouldn't do it. This is, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We, the truckers, move the freight from one place to another. Okay? Remember 40-hour week? Right? Remember that song? We'll roll on 18-wheeler, both from Alabama. Okay? We... Move the stuff up and down the road. We make sure people eat. We make sure they have fuel, including those clowns up there in that clown house that claim to have authority all over all of us. Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Trudeau and all your ilk. You got so much power you can just do this to people? You sure? Let's find out if you do. How many places are there that the people have the real power? What are you going to do? Wait till October, what, November and go vote? You know what I saw yesterday? This was, this was beyond stupid. What's his name? Steve Bannon said, when the Republicans take over in November, Biden will be impeached in November. Do you know how stupid that is? First of all, the Republicans are spineless. And unless something happens that makes it an easy target, they're not going to impeach Biden. They're completely spineless. They're not going to do it. All it would be is retribution for the orange man, and most of them don't have a stomach for that either. right? Most of your Republicans, even the ones that claim to be pro-Trump, actually hate Trump. I know a senator for a fact that speaks semi-pro-Trump publicly that hates his guts. I mean, hates him with a passion behind the scene. It's WWE, guys. How do I know this? Because I know somebody who worked for that senator personally. And he said, this guy doesn't like Trump. This guy's not pro-Trump in any way. He's not pro-Trump anything. 
and I won't say who it is. I don't need to do that. That might possibly, given who I am, reveal my source. I don't need to be doing that. It just is. But how many places are there that we have this power? Because it ain't, it ain't the ballot box, folks. You understand the problem with Mr. Bannon's claim when we take over in November and November Biden will be impeached? So let's say that the Senate went 100, like, like just ridiculous. The Senate went to 100 Republicans and the House of Representatives went to 80% Republicans. And everybody was in agreement Biden's got to go, we're going to impeach him. And you're going to end up with, with heels up Harris as your president. Like, that's a good move. See, that was a very good chess move by the Biden administration. Take a VP so repulsive that no one dare impeach you. They'd have to impeach her next. But let's say they were willing to do it. When is the earliest that they could impeach him? Well, it would be like mid-January or the end of January of 2023, wouldn't it? Somebody tell Mr. Bannon how it works when an election's over, how transfer of powers happen, how there's a lame duck session, how all that works, that it can't possibly happen before January. Somebody let him know that for me. No, you don't have any power there. But how many people have power in this country that don't realize it, that are groups that have power? I'm not answering the question for you. You know one answer is truckers. But who else has power in this country? If only they would use it. And use it as passive resistance. These truckers are not driving their trucks through the Capitol building. I'm sure some people would cheer if they did. But overall, tactically, that would be stupid. That would be a bad move. But you're not stopping a convoy, are you? You're just not. And you know what? I played one song today for you. Why don't I play you another one as we go out today? And we'll wrap up so I can get ready to get on board with Nicole and John. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I bet some of you can guess. Roll on highway, roll on along. Roll on daddy till you get back home. Roll on family, roll on crew. Roll on mama like I ask you to do. And roll on 18-wheeler, roll on. Roll on! Well, it's Monday morning. Kissing mama goodbye He's up and gone with the sun Daddy drives an 18-wheeler And he's off on a Midwest run And three sad faces gather round mama They ask her when daddy's coming home Daddy drives an 18-wheeler And they sure miss him when he's gone Ah, but he calls me the night and tells him that he loves him. He taught him this song to sing. Roll on highway, roll on along, roll on daddy till you get back home. Roll on family, roll on crew, roll on mama like I asked you to do. And roll on a Not his voice. Seems the highway patrol has found a jackknife rig in a snowbank in Illinois. But the driver was missing and the search had been abandoned because the weather had everything stalled. And they had checked all the houses and the local motels when they had some more news they'd call. She told him when they found him to tell him that she loved him. And she hung up the phone singing, roll on highway, roll on along, roll on daddy till you get back home. Roll on family, roll on crew, roll on mama like I asked you to do. And roll on 18-wheeler, roll on. Mama and the children
Ask me.